This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, uh, Micah Richards and Alan Shearer. And in this episode, uh, we're joined by a special guest. That special guest is Connor Cody, who we've all enjoyed uh, watching over many years now. He's, he's playing career and he's now at the Mighty Foxes, uh, Leicester City. So that's, that's not the only reason we've had him on. I think one of the future stars possibly of punditry. I've really enjoyed his performances when he's, he's been on um, Sky on occasions and... And, and and elsewhere and he's had of course a fabulous career and that career uh, continues um so connor firstly uh, good morning and, and thank you very much for coming on oh thanks so much for having me guys it's today it's a pleasure to be on and i wouldn't say special guest i'll be honest i'll just say yeah uh, just guest we'll, we'll call you special guest for now and then we'll judge it at the end yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you by the end it won't be special <laughs> Big Meeks has come back, especially from um, Vegas. Um, we're recording this a couple of days after his return. Um, so um, forgive him if he, um, if he breaks down at some point. But he seems all right. He seems all right. He's recovering. He's drinking tea now, I can see. I'm in, drinking in, tea, in the, yeah. The honestly, I, yeah. I'm not feeling great, to be honest. I'm jet lagged. I'm hungover. But I'm here. I'm here for Big Connor. I'm here for you. You don't look great either, Micah. <laughs> sure about that. Did you get married? That's more the point. <laughs> I didn't get married. No, I didn't get married. Well, not officially, no. <laughs> <laughs> not like you can remember. We all felt like we were with him. He was flaunting it that much, didn't we? <laughs> uh, Connor, let, let, let's take you back to, to the beginning. You grew up um, in Liverpool. Yeah. And um, you were a, a Liverpool fan. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and you ended up being at Liverpool in, in your younger days. That must have been kind of been living the dream at the time. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It's like all of us. We all grew up supporting a team. We all grew up dreaming to play for that team. I think all of us on on this podcast now will say the same thing. And I was no different as a kid. I was a, a huge Liverpool fan. I always was from 
being born with my family and my dad and my mum and different things like that. So I think growing up and, and being in the academy at Liverpool, it was not just helping me as a player. Liverpool is a, a massive institution in terms of developing players and making players. And you still see it to this day now with the players who are coming through. So I was one of them lucky ones who come through there. And listen, I didn't play that many times for Liverpool, but I always said to myself that when I did, that nobody could take that away from me. And nobody could when when I made my debut in, in the Europa League. So it was a special moment, but coming through was amazing. Like I said, being a Liverpool fan and playing for the football club was absolutely brilliant. And, and they helped me like you wouldn't believe how they made me as a person and not just as a player. It was, it was fantastic to be there. Yeah, and I loved every minute of it. Were you always a, a defender? Or were you like um, Micah and, and lots of defenders that you start further forward and then ease your way back? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so no, I wasn't always a defender. No, I was always, I was always a midfielder by trade type of thing. I was always somebody who... <laughs> I couldn't run. I couldn't run then either. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just say I was a midfielder. Was you a defensive midfielder? Was you an attacking midfielder? Because yeah, no, no, no. I wasn't an attacking about... midfielder, mate. No, no. I think you can see that with our play now. I was never an attacking midfielder. I was always a defensive minded midfielder. I was always somebody who could drop back and, and, and get on the ball and things like that. I didn't burst on the scene, that's for sure, <laughs> to, be, to be fair. So, uh, but no, I, I grew up a midfielder. Yeah, I was always like a sitting midfielder, if you want to call it these days. That's how we play it now, isn't it? We play sitting midfielders and attacking midfielders and eights and sixes and all this sort of thing. So I was always a number six kind of growing up. And it was only really when I hit about 25 that Nuno came into Wolves and, and decided to play me at the back. That was the first kind of time it happened. So growing up, yeah, I, I always played central midfield. I was always somebody who, like I do now, I always talk and I always try to organise. It was always something I tried to bring into my game from a young age. And yeah, it was it, it was it was a position I enjoyed. But as I get older, I realised it got harder. <laughs> Micah, <laughs> Micah, you've got some front. <laughs> you've got some front. T t trying to take the piss out of Connor. When where, where did you start your career, Michael? What position where were you? I, I was a, I was a, a number nine. Of course I was. <laughs> <laughs> Try and say that without laughing. <laughs> I was a, Connor. I was a number nine. And I a dropped back to man. number ten. <laughs> then I, I was like a number eight. Then I was a number. Uh, well, back in them days, the four was like sitting as well. Yeah. I was holding midfield. And then I ended up at centre-half and then at right-back by default. Honest <laughs> to God. And then you ended as a, back in those days, a 12. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the bench, you mean, Alan. Yeah, yeah right. the bench. Who, who, were your, who were your heroes at that stage when you first kind of crept into the Liverpool squad? And you Because I, I, similar with me, I was kind of ended up at my hometown club, Leicester. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the dressing room with with your heroes. Yeah, and, and that was it. And listen, growing up, I was a massive Steven Gerrard, Jamie Carragher fan. They were they, they were massive kind of heroes of mine, people I looked up to, people who were trying to model my game on a little bit, if I'm being honest. Listen, I could never model my game on Steven Gerrard, but there was always things in there with his character and how he led and how he done things. He was somebody who obviously epitomised Liverpool for myself growing up. So kind of getting into the first team, I started to train at Melwood kind of full-time and every day and be in the dressing room with them and learning from them, not just on the pitch because someone like Steven Gerrard had all the qualities in the world. Not everybody has what he has. Listen, he, he, he's an incredible footballer, but just kind of seeing how he, how he trained, how he worked, how he held himself off the pitch, what he'd done kind of as a professional player. It helped me, like you wouldn't believe, kind of, going into my own career then and I'm making something of myself. So that was something I always took on board, but them two were definitely kind of heroes of mine growing up without a doubt. How, how, how did he train or they train? It was non-stop. 
it was non-stop. First and foremost, he always trained. I think that's a massive thing, even now, kind of being 30, 31 now, the age I'm at, and making sure you're always available to train. I think that's huge. I think it's a massive kind of trade, and I don't think enough people get enough credit for it being on the grass all the time, giving yourself the best chance to get better and learn and, and improve. So that was the first thing that I can say. They never, ever missed a session. They were always out there, whether it was recovery days, whether it was training days, whether it was day before a game. They were always out there and they trained at a maximum. They trained how they played. I think that was the biggest thing that I took from them in terms of if you weren't on it, they were on you, no matter what. So if you was on their team and you weren't backing them up or you weren't pressing or you weren't tackling or you pulled out of some sort of tackle, they was always be on you. So just training how they played, I think, was a massive part of it as well. Connor, I think, uh, I'm, tell me if I'm wrong, but I, because you're saying that, that's a massive thing because of the training. Does, does that mean, or am I jump, jumping to conclusion here, that you've perhaps seen a uh, shift in attitudes over the years in terms of from when you first started out to now in your 30s? Yeah, w- w- without a doubt, mate. I think it's something where, I think we can all say, I think we could all probably sit here and say football's changed a little bit from kind of the days previous when I first started, maybe even before that. I think football's changed a lot. And listen, we, we can talk about, the fixture schedule and there's more games, there's more this, there's more that. But I think it's a it, it's an art in itself to to make sure you're prepared every single day, to make sure you're ready to play football every day. The career that we have isn't long. You guys will, will tell me the same thing as well, is that it's not a long career. So I think you've got to squeeze as much out of it as you possibly can, especially when you're not kind of one of them elite players, one of them players who are playing in every competition, every single game. I think it's important you squeeze as much out of it as you possibly can. So I think it's so important to make sure you're available every single day to show the managers, to show the people at the club that you're ready to play and you're ready to help each other every single week. I suppose in many ways you've gone from the position of looking up to players to players now looking up to you in terms of setting that example. I don't think like that. I'll be honest, I don't think like that as a person. I I, I try and set examples every day with how I kind of hold myself, how I behave, like I said, how I'm ready for training every single day and then how you go onto the training pitch and I always go back to kind of when I was growing up coming through kind of at Liverpool and getting given the opportunity and then things I was mentioning to, to you before about players training, how they play on a weekend I think it's important I don't think you can you can play to to your maximum on a weekend if you don't train like it through the week as well so I don't think of it I don't go into training thinking oh I'm, I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that for these players I just try and be the best of myself every single day and if, if people want to come and have a chat or ask me little things in training or whatever it may be then they're more than welcome I think I'm open enough to to say that to people so so yeah it's not something I, I tell myself in the morning I just make sure I go and give the best of myself every day. How, how difficult was it leaving your boyhood club Liverpool was obviously very special to you. How how difficult was it to go somewhere else? Do you know what, mate? I I, I get this question a lot, and, and and a lot of people say to me sometimes when I give the answer of it wasn't that difficult because I was desperate to play footy. Do you know what I mean I was desperate to play football? So I was lucky enough to go on a loan spell at Sheffield United in League One. It was and it was amazing. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. I played fifty games. We got to an FA Cup semi final. We played at Wembley. Nothing was expected of us, and we went and had a season. What was what was fantastic, and it was something where that made me a little bit. That made me realise how important it was, not just playing for points and and things like that, but how important football was to people. If I didn't know it already, the feeling of being there and playing every single week and and training and preparing for games, I loved the feeling of it. So to go back and then jump back into the twenty threes, I, I was realistic at Liverpool. There were some fantastic players in front of me, Stephen. Gerard, Jordan Henderson, to name a few. So to go back and kind of put myself in that bracket, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. So I understood where I was at. I was realistic, but I was desperate to play football properly in front of crowds and playing proper. So when I got that opportunity to kind of go to go to Huddersfield, it was something that I jumped at just because of the desperation to play football, really. Do you think if you'd have started at Liverpool, possibly, as a central defender, that things might have 
been different? Because you, you've just said to yourself, you came quite late to that particular role. Do you think things could have been different? Yeah, maybe, maybe it was, it, to be honest, it's not, it's not something I've ever thought about because I've loved my career and I've loved kind of everything I've done and how my career's panned out and how I've done it. And I've, I've still got plenty to give now. And I look back and maybe that could have been the case a hundred percent and it could have been a little bit different, but it's something where, like I said, I, I look back on kind of what I've done over the last few years and how I've gone about it and how I've played and how I've trained and I've loved every minute of it. So I think it might've been different. It could have been different maybe, but it's not something I've really thought about. Yeah, it would have been different definitely because you, the modern day game now is obviously you can defend, but you're really good on the ball. I know we have a laugh on a joke and all that, but the, the diags that you play, the forward passes that you put in as well, you definitely would have given you a, a more of an opportunity. It was just different footballs always evolving, isn't it, Connor? Without a doubt, Meekson. I think it's something where I mentioned before about kind of being in the middle of the park. There's so many bodies, it's so fast and there's, there's bodies all around you. I'm not downplaying myself, but it's tough in there. It's really tough in there. And I completely agree. And I think football's evolved over the years, as you said. And I think it's getting harder and harder and harder. The players in the central midfield are getting more technical. They're getting more quick. They're getting more brave to receive the ball in tight areas. And you see now with the way kind of Pep's evolved the game with fullbacks coming inside. We do it at Leicester now. Gary obviously know with how we play. And we have Ricardo Pereira coming inside and we play a boxing midfield. And all of a sudden you've gone from having 4-4-2 and two midfielders in there to now you've got four. And then you're thinking about what the other team have got. So you may have seven or eight midfielders in the middle of the pitch from both teams. So the amount of bodies and everything in there, it's getting so, so tough. So whereas when you do drop back, and you look at the game a little bit differently. Everything's in front of you. You get a little bit more time to pick your passes. I I love the position. I, I really enjoy being a little bit further back and enjoying it. And when Nuno done it, when, like I said, I was about 25, 26, I love the feeling of it, to be fair. Yeah, it was totally different. The other thing that's obviously changed is that nearly everyone, since Pep evolved things, everyone builds out from the back now, which I suppose brings defenders more into the game in terms of possession. But it also brings dangers with it as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So my debut this year, I was injured obviously at the start of the season and obviously we've got Enzo now who's here and it's literally like Manchester City. Honestly, like obviously he's brought his own style and his own way of doing things and he's done, he's done brilliant. But in terms of way of playing, I watch a lot of Man- I watch a lot of Manchester City anyway because I love watching them, the incredible football team. But I watch even more of them now just to see if it's similar to what we do and it's similar to how we do it and everything we kind of do is very, is the same. And I remember early on in the season we played at Anfield in my first game in the, in the Carabao Cup and obviously we're working. So when you go to Anfield, you guys will know it's they suffocate you. They're all over you and you're trying to play up in the back and it's hard. It's tough because the front three jump, then the midfield jump and the back four on the halfway and you suffocate the life out of you. But we're constant. We play up in the back. It doesn't change no matter where you are you could go and play at the Etihad Anfield wherever it is Ellen Road this year whatever it is and you play out from the back I remember receiving the ball off the keeper a few times and I was under pressure a little bit and then as another as another goal kick came I could hear someone in the crowd behind me going he's coming for you Cody <laughs> I thought, oh no I was panicking I was panicking even more so some Liverpool fan in the Anfield Road and so it was just constant but that that's how we go about our business that's what we're doing and I think that's what football's become now to play through thirds and, and create overloads and suck people into them play through there's so many ways of doing it and like I said Enzo's come in and, and, and done it very similar to City Who's been the biggest influence on your career, Connor? In terms of managers, I'd say yeah. Nuno's been massive for me. Right. Nuno was huge. Nuno 
and, and, and I say it to this day, mate, in terms of he changed my life. He changed my life as not just a footballer, but I think as a person, as a player. He gave me the opportunity to obviously play in an incredible team at Wolves in terms of what we were in in the championship and the team he built in the championship. But then he gave me the opportunity to play in the Premier League and then he gave me the opportunity to play for England and to do what I've done. And he was amazing for me, like I said, not just as a football player, but as a person as well. And I was going through that period when he first came in from about 25 to about 28, 29, where I think you really... You define yourself in them years. I think that's when you, they're, they're your big years of football and they're, they're kind of where you're going to be in your career and how you're going to do it. And he gave me the opportunity to do things that I, I dreamed of doing, but I never thought I did. And what he'd done for me was was absolutely incredible. Not just for me, but the players around me at that time as well. And for the football club in terms of changing what he'd done at, at Wolves at that moment in time, I thought it was incredible. And he deserves all the credit he should get from Wolverhampton supporters and, and, and people within that football club, without a doubt. What did you think when he first pulled you to one side and said, Connor, I want you to drop into a, a back three? Do you know what? Do you know what, mate? I, he, he never really had that conversation with me. It was it was a strange one. So obviously when a manager first comes in, you guys know what it's like as well, in terms of you thinking to yourself, oh, I want, I, I want to be a massive part of it. I want to be involved. Is he going to like me? Is he going to, what's he going to think? How's he going to go about his business? This, that and the other. So we came in the first couple of days. He was, he, he was working one team with a back three and one team with a back four. So we didn't even think about a back three. We didn't even think about that was what he was going to do. In that time, it was just a back four and no one really played anything different so we came in and I was in the team with a back three obviously in the middle and I'm thinking oh my god I'm not going to be part of his plans here he's not going to like me I've gone from playing midfield and now he's got me in a back three it was kind of I'm making up the numbers here a little bit what's going on so I thought to myself I'll just train right every day I'll make sure I get the best out of it I'll do what I need to do I'll learn from him and I remember getting on a plane to Austria and we were in the championship then and I don't mean to sound big-headed or anything but it was a normal plane with loads of people on because that was what it was like <laughs> that was what it was was like when I was in the champ so I remember sitting at the back of the plane there was a seat by the window next to me and I can see the manager walking down but you know what it's like if the manager sits next to you on the plane <laughs> you look like a bit of a kiss ass yeah. don't you that's what you look like you know like a little bit of that's rap. what Alan did all his career <laughs> You obviously know what it's like. So, so as he's walking down the aisle, I'm thinking, oh no, don't sit next to me. Oh, this, this seat's free. And I know the lads will be behind me laughing their heads off and all that sort of thing. So as he's coming down, he went, Connor, I'm sat in there. So I thought, oh. so he sits next to me. And honestly, the plane journey, it was like he scripted the next few years in that plane journey. If you know what I mean, it, it was crazy. So we sat down, he started telling me about, this is how I'm going to play. So that was when he mentioned about, I'm going to go forward with the back three. We're going to be compact. We're going to be together. We're going to counter hard and we're going to be quick and we're going to be this. We're going to be... And I was just like, Phew. and the conversation was something I'd never experienced before as a young lad, just in terms of real football talk. And it was brilliant. I loved every moment of it. So he never, he never told me then that I was going to be the one in the middle of a back three. I just started to get the picture during that pre-season that it was going to be me. And I made sure, like I said, I, I learned and I, I, and I was open-minded going into it. And I made sure I listened and I, and I hung off every word that he said. I'll be honest, because I loved how he went about his business. But I also loved the way he wanted to play as well and what he wanted to do with me. Can I just ask about that, that, that position? Because you say going from a midfield to a back three or a back four to a back three. And that, that position in the middle is very difficult. People think it's easy because you've got bodies around you, yeah. but you're you're the, the last man really who has to organize, who can see absolutely everything. How, how did you find that sort of be, we know you were a leader anyway, but mm. in, a, in a completely different formation that you've not really played before, you know? Yeah, like, like I said, mate, it was something where I, I was real open-minded when he came in. I made sure, like I said, I hung off every word. I, I listened to everything he said. I, I pulled him when I, when I thought I was a little bit kind of out of my depth or I was wondering what was going on or different things. But I've always been a player who kind of, I read the game quicker than I am. 
if you know what I mean. Like, I'm, I'm not the fastest of players. I've never been quick. I've never been somebody who's explosive. Like you said, do, do you know what I mean? I've never, I've never had that explosiveness. Uh, so I've always had to kind of think about the game a little bit differently. I've got to kind of get an advantage somewhere else because I'm, I'm, I'm not the fastest player in the world. So I've always been somebody who's liked to read the game and say study the game. I don't I watch a lot of football. I, I watch an awful lot of football. So I always try and take the most out of each game I watch or each game I play. And so I always try to read the game as well as I could. And from that position, you can read it. If you think about the game, you can read it a lot. So if your two centre-half partners are jumping in, you can be the one who covers round. You can read if somebody's going to go along with the body shape. Uh, are you about to go along? So you're ready to run back or what, what, whatever that is. So I've always been somebody who's kind of done that. But at the start, it was tough. But I think because, like I said, I was open-minded to the situation. I was open-minded to to playing back there. And because I was desperate to play for him, I, was, I knew the calibre of manager who was coming. And I was desperate to play for him. So I think that really helped me as well. And I just took every single training session on board to make myself better. Was it on that plane that he, he made you captain? I, I don't mean as a pilot, obviously. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How long has it taken? He's talking 20 minutes for your first pun, Gary. I'm disappointed in you. Did, didn't you not see Harry step in? That was Harry's joke, that was. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> oh brilliant. Uh, uh, no, no, it wasn't. We, we, had, we had a club captain at the time, mate, in terms of uh, Danny Bath, and he was fantastic. He was brilliant. He was... He, he was Mr. Wolves at the time and listen, I, I'd done everything he needed of me. I, I made sure I was there for him and I helped the boys and different things. But I, I could feel in that year, obviously Danny was in and out of the team. So when Danny didn't play, I was captain and I could feel I, I was gaining a little bit more responsibility at the club and I loved it. I, I, I loved the feeling of it. I really did. But like I said, I was there to help Dan and then obviously the following year, then Danny, I think, left. For, uh, he went He went somewhere else and that was when I was named captain and one of the proudest moments of my life, yeah, to be named captain of a Premier League team. It was amazing. Do you think he was hard done to at Spurs, Nuno? Didn't really happen for him there. Or were you surprised that it didn't? If I'm being completely honest now about the situation, I think I, I think Spurs probably came a little bit too soon. If I'm being honest, I, I think when you go to a big club like that, I think it's always ten times tougher. I really do. I think I, I think that comes with the comes with the territory of going to a massive club. But I think he had a real, real tough few years at, at Wolves, and then he left at the end of the COVID year. And I know that was a tough year, not just for him, but for everybody. I think his family was still in Portugal and, and things like that. And people don't actually see this side of it. People just think, oh, you're a football manager and that's that. And, oh, you got another job even off of Tottenham and he should take it. I actually think it came a little bit too soon for him because of how tough kind of being a football manager is and how tough them few years were. And then he finished on the COVID year, which I think was hard for everybody, especially when you've not got your family around you. You can't fly home. I think he was going from training to home and being on his... And a lot of people don't see this side of it. So uh, I think it probably came a little bit too soon. But I think if it came at a different time, maybe halfway through his tenure at Wolves and he decided to take it, I think it might have been a little bit different because I honestly can't speak more highly of him. I, th I think he's fantastic, yeah. What were his strengths as a coach, as a manager? A, a big thing for me, mate, was sticking to the way he wants to play. I think that's so big, me, with, with, with managers and, and teams. And he was the first manager who kind of developed a real philosophy with a football club that I learned and I understood. And he painted pictures for you. Even though he was a foreign manager, he made things so simple for each individual player to know the roles and know what they were doing that it became the norm to us every single training. And a lot of people ask me, was training repetitive and was it the same and did it get boring? And it never did because we were doing the same things all the time, but we could see ourselves getting better. We were winning on a weekend and we couldn't wait for the games to start. So I I think in terms of how simple he made his messages and how he stuck to his philosophy and his principles, and that never, ever changed. If you think back to that Wolves team, I even look at Wolves now, 
and they still play back five now. And I think that came from Nuno's era of really playing that. And I think of Wolves now, and I think of them being, and I don't know whether they'll want to be known as this, but I just think of Wolves being a back five even now in this moment in time. And I know they're playing it with Kilman, Dawson and Totti. Obviously, I still watch a lot of them. I still support them. They're a fantastic football club. And I go back to that kind of area in terms of what he brought. And I, and I think he really started that in terms of how he went about his business. He was brilliant, yeah. I sense a, a, an unbelievable work ethic in you. Um, I mean, you've, you've had a great career. You've played for a lot of clubs. You've represented England at every level. You must have been in dressing rooms without, and without naming names. I mean, the frustrating part of it is that you go and so many teammates and you must look at them and think, if only you had a bit of graft or a bit of work like I did. You, you must have been frustrated so many times over your career and look at players without naming anyone. Yeah, I think we're seeing it more and more. I think we're seeing it more and more. We're kind of how young people are developing now. I think how society is. We see a lot of social media and phones. And listen, social media can be fantastic. It can, it can, it can help. I'm on social media. It can be. But I just think with kind of how football's gone over the years, and I think it's changing year on year. I really do. And I completely agree with you. There's been so many times I'm sat there and I'm thinking, you've got so much more ability than me. You've got absolutely everything. You're fast. You're strong. You have this. You have that. You've got everything. You've got so much more ability. Just apply yourself. Go in and be old, and be ready to learn and get better and train how you play and all these sorts of things and the things I mentioned kind of with yourselves now and I've seen it over and over and over the years and it's it is it's frustrating and you have conversations with people and you sit down you have chats with people and you say listen give a little bit more you'll be in you'll play you'll play every week you've got everything do you know what I mean and it's kind of some people can't actually take that in and really think about that situation they're more interested in other things and it is it, it's frustrating because like I said I think because the, the career is so short you have to squeeze everything you can out of it because it's a career that can one can change your life can change your family's life but it's the best job in the world there's nothing that compares to this job in, in my eyes I, I love every moment of it yeah I can take you back decades and decades, Connor. It's always been the same. <laughs> so many talented players. No, genuinely, so many talented players. I remember going back to Spurs and I thought I'd been away in Barcelona and, and you came, I came back to Spurs and you started to think, oh, I can like make an impact on young players. You can have a little word with them. And I, I, I can remember a young lad at Spurs. I can't remember his name. And... And I just offered a little bit of advice and he's gone, oh, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I thought, oh, really? I mean, I would have died for the advice of a senior professional when I was a young player. And I just thought, wow, wow. I don't think that's common, but there are a lot of players that you see. And I only went to speak to him because I saw talent and I saw hope for him. I saw an incredible career. And needless to say, his career petered out and he did nothing. And, and the one thing you want to say to young players, isn't it? Christ, give yourself the best possible chance to succeed. Oh, without a doubt. And do you know, do you know what do you know what you're saying there? It's not that common. I think it probably is common. Maybe they don't tell you to to fuck off. But maybe <laughs> they t- maybe, maybe they don't tell you that. But maybe you look at it and, and and you can see you're speaking to them and they're looking at you. And, and as they're looking at you, you're thinking this isn't going in this. This is this isn't happening. <laughs> and then you go out to train and it's the exact same thing in training. Do you know what I mean? Nothing really changes. So that, that that's all I would say. I, th- I think to young players coming through exactly like yourself to squeeze everything out of the career you can because everything's great when you're 25 and people have got this and they've got that and everything sorted everything's fine but then you hit an age and you go where am I at now what am I going to do now how do you change that mindset though because I've talked about this I know we talked about bursting on the scene having a bit of banter and all that but it's difficult when you're in it because I've been there I've been the player that everybody wants earning all the money (laughs) and down tools I have I'd open admit it I down tools because I thought I was already there. I was stronger. I was faster. I was getting assists. I was getting man of them. It's difficult to to see it when you're in it, you know? So I would say to you, keep on 
telling them use people as examples you know because i do i do regret it I, you know a lot of mine came through injury but it is hard did you have players talking to you micah saying those sort of things be careful you not give yourself the best done did you have whilst that? he was driving his fucking ferrari yeah <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'd be DB9 convertible if it'd be three million pound downs if you come listening to, to Danny Mills telling me to, to calm down. Get to fuck. Well, maybe you should have. <laughs> you see? Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, any, any of our young listeners, please don't use my cousin as example. <laughs> you see, Micah, if only he had a listened. Where have you just come back from Vegas? Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> oh, oh, uh, brilliant. Uh, what was the highlight, Wolves, kind of qualifying for Europe? Um, they finished seventh twice in, in the Premier League, uh, which was terrific. And, and European football, possibly. Yeah, massive. There's loads of highlights, mate. There's loads of things, like even going back to kind of the promotion year and how we went about it and what we'd done and how we played. That that, that was a brilliant year. But then I think the, the the second year in the Premier League for me, we qualified obviously for Europe year one and finished seventh and we got to an FA Cup semi-final. The, the FA Cup semi-final is the biggest regret of my life because we were there, we were tuning up against Watford and we end up getting beat 3-2. And it's the biggest, I've never watched a game back and I always tend to watch my games back and have a little look at where I can get better or where I went wrong or what I can do, whatever it is. When you say the biggest regret, you, you, you blame yourself or...? No, not necessarily. I, I, I feel like I'm a massive part of it because I played in the game, but we were so comfortable, mate. Honestly, we were two, 75 minutes, we were tuning up for me, it was the perfect performance. We'd done everything right. We'd listened to the gaffer. We'd listened to how we wanted to go about the game. We'd 2-0 up. So to lose the game 3-2 after extra time, after being 2-0 up after 75, was ridiculous. And Gerard Delafeu come on. And obviously, he's all remembering. He's a fantastic player. But he came on. He was one of them players who came on. We're talking about there. He came on with a cob on. He came on a little bit angry because it must have been because he didn't start or whatever. And he came on. You could tell he had this like kind of, I'm going to show you there to their manager it was one of them do you know what I mean he came on with like a little bit of a he was ready to go and he changed the game so so that's the biggest regret but but kind of going back to the uh, the highlight in terms of this, our second year in the Premier League we had European football and I remember going into the Europa League so we went in in like you know at the first qualifying stage all that sort of stuff and I remember loads of people saying to me oh, it's going to be so hard and it's going to be this and it's going to be that and you're going to be knackered by Christmas and I remember sitting there thinking nah I'm not having that I've dreamed all my life of playing in Europe and now I've got someone telling me that Burnley a couple of years, I think, struggled and loads of tell loads of people were telling me, oh, Burnley struggled in it and they ended up fighting relegate. I'm thinking, nah, I'm not having it. I'm just not having that. There's not a chance. Like European football is the greatest thing you guys will know as well in terms of what you can do and how you can go about and play against a different team. I remember going in the first qualifying round, we played Crusaders in Belfast. I remember going here playing this little ground on Astra Turf and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was brilliant and kind of doing that season. That season again, we finished seventh and it, it was a strange season because we actually got more points than the year before but missed out on Europe. So I think we hit 59 points where the year before we got 56 and got Europe and then the year after we finished seven, didn't get you. It was ridiculous and we were devastated. But kind of travelling around Europe and going to the different places and getting to the quarterfinals like we did and playing Sevilla and, and all this sort of stuff, it was incredible. So I'd give anything to kind of go back to that year and just relive it again because it was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, I loved it. Okay, uh, let's take a breather. Um, Micah needs to park his Ferrari somewhere. We'll be back uh, after this uh, little break. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water. 
pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, Micah Richards, Alan Shearer, and on today's episode, Connor Cody. Connor, you, you were a Liverpool fan growing up and you ended up at Everton for a period of time. Was that odd? <laughs> it's funny because I get this question all the time and I go out in the streets and I take my boys to school and everyone just goes, you were a Liverpool fan, weren't you? And I get, <laughs> I get it all the time. And, and you, you fellas will know in terms of playing football and, and, and I, try, I try and explain this to them all the time because people just think, oh, you're a Liverpool fan and that's that. And I get it. I grew up a huge Liverpool fan. I'm not afraid to say that. I was massive. And I also, the year we got promoted with Wolves, you also then start playing against them quite frequently and different things. And I was that desperate to win. Not just because it was Liverpool, but I was the same every game. I was just desperate. I, I had this feeling. I, I switched on to a game days before thinking, right, what do we need to do? How do we win? How do we go about it? Because I have a little bit of a fear of losing. I, I hate the thought of losing. I hate the thought of letting people down or whatever it is. So when it came to the Liverpool game, I was no different. I was just desperate to win. So that feeling of actually supporting the team can't stay. It can't physically stay. It, it, it can't be part here because I'm going to give everything I've got to beat them, to win, to win that game of football, whether it be at Anfield or Molyneux or King Power or Goodison or whatever it was. I had that feeling of wanting to win. So when it came to being given the opportunity to sign for Evan, the Everton one was strange. And I come out and said it last few weeks in terms of how I never expected to leave Wolves. That was something I never, ever, ever expected to do. I loved my time there. I was captain. Everything was great. And I'd been away with, with England that summer. And kind of being away was something where I came back a little bit later. And as I came back, I could feel something wasn't right. Something wasn't right at Wolves. I wasn't kind of playing with the team he was working on at the time. Bruno Large was the manager. And I was thinking, oh, this is a big year for me because the World Cup was in December. And I was desperate, desperate to, to be in that squad for the World Cup. It was something where probably I'll never, ever go to one again. And I was absolutely desperate. Playing for England was, was the biggest privilege I've ever had in my life. So I was coming back for pre-season, looking that far ahead, thinking, oh, if I'm not in the team now and I don't start a season, and then I don't get into the first international break, and I'm not in the international team then, that's going to be hard to get to. So I was thinking so far ahead. So it was a strange one with Wolves that summer. So I ended up moving. Wolves ended up doing what they'd done. And I got the opportunity to sign for Everton, and it was brilliant. I loved it. And loads of people say now, how did you do that? You supported Liverpool and growing up. But I played against Liverpool that many times, and I was that desperate to win. That support from kind of, not by no choice of my own, it kind of just goes because I'm that desperate to win against 
the team I grew up supporting. So I can't really support them. Do you know what I mean? I can't when I'm that desperate to win. So it, It's funny with football, isn't it? I mean, I, I moved around a number of clubs and, and as soon as you go to a new club, I'd say it when, you know, fans sometimes have a pop at football. Like that kiss the badge, for example, and they think, oh, you don't really care about the club. But when you join an, a club, you instantaneously become a fan of that club and that's all that matters, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I left Leicester and I, I went to Everton and, and immediately you felt that rivalry against Liverpool and you were part of it and you forget about I mean I'd, I'd followed Leicester since I was seven years old and I played for them for eight years and then I left and all I cared about was Everton and when I went to Barcelona you don't like Real Madrid and then you came back to Tottenham and you don't like Arsenal for a bit and it, it's mad isn't it how you, you just change like that and it doesn't what you'll find I think at the end of your career and, and we've had this conversation with Alan as well that your support for your original club will probably come back and then it becomes the be all and end all. And as you get older, you think to yourself, I won't care so much. <laughs> but you care even more. Get worse, yeah. I can imagine. And I think you're exactly right, Gary. Honestly, I think you're exactly right. And I think if you don't do that with a club, I don't think you're giving them your all. I, I, I think if you go there and you're a little bit half-hearted and, and I know it might sound a little bit strange, but you don't throw yourself into everything that that club's about, then I think there's a problem because that, that club's giving you the right to play for them. You're, you're just a player for that football club. The most important thing is that football club at that time and you've got to go and give absolutely everything you've got. So having the opportunity to kind of play for Everton, a lot of my family members are Everton fans. You'll probably also know people in Liverpool are split. You've got Everton fans, Liverpool fans, all the same. So when I signed for, for Everton, then people in my family were, were proud as punch. It was, it was unbelievable for them. But then the other side of my family were going, what are you doing? Why are you going there? And what, is, what are you playing at here? But to be given the opportunity, and uh, I spoke to Frank Lampard in the summer, and he was, he was amazing. Honestly, he was brilliant. And obviously, people look at his time in Everton and how, how it ended. But him as a person and how he kind of portrayed himself and how he helped me as a person and as a footballer and, and what he was like, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Honestly, I, I, I took him at first hand and he was a bit of a hero of mine growing up as he was for probably everybody else being an England midfielder and how good he was. So to have the opportunity to play under him at that time was was a real, real privilege and I, and I loved it. I loved my time at Evan. Absolutely loved it. Why do, you, why do you think it's not quite worked out managerially for, for Frank so far? And do you think he's got possibly what it takes? I do, I do, just from working with him, kind of how he went about his business with us and, and how he worked and how he spoke and how he wanted to play. I actually think at the time, obviously, and listen, Everton are still in a tough time and I'm praying that they get out of the situation they're in and we're obviously seeing things and we're ho everyone's hoping to get points back or whatever it is that, that that's going to happen and going to come out and I think everyone's hoping for, for the best outcome but I think at the time it was it was a tough job we actually started the season really well under him he, 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 he was setting us up in a bit of a back five and then we changed to a back four remember for the Leeds game we drew one all away and we started off really well we beat Palace we beat Southampton we, we, were, we were racking up results and defensively we were solid we were together and we were scoring good goals and, and things just changed in the season it, it, it's actually quite hard to put my hand on but but going back to kind of Frank himself I just thought as a person as a coach I thought he was brilliant the people around him as well so I just hope he, he gets another opportunity and shows kind of kind of how good he is I mentioned it earlier about you playing at every level for uh, for England but to be part of that that squad that sort of went so close played a year later of course wasn't it in the Euros but you 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 were you were part of that squad weren't you a huge part of that squad yeah and do you know what mate I, I think you guys will tell me this, it's the best feeling ever playing for your country. It was the greatest thing I've ever done. I loved every moment of it and even just going away. And a lot of people say to me, oh, you went and never played and the Euros and the World Cup, you went and never played. I wasn't really that bothered. 
I wasn't. I was desperate to play. I was desperate like any other footballer. I was the exact same when I was playing than when I wasn't. I was the same. I used to tell myself in training when I used to go and about go and push the lads. Make sure you're ready. If you need it, if there's an injury, if there's something, just make sure you're ready and push the lads as much as I can. And I'd done that. I remember in the Euros, obviously, going so close. And there's loads of things we, we could tell from the Euros. And I think everybody loved watching that team and loved how we went about our business that summer. And that was one of the greatest summers of my life. But I remember one of the first training sessions, we'd obviously played Croatia in the first game. We won 1-0 and we trained the day after. And them sessions, kind of when the lads haven't played and lads could be a bit down and a bit yeah. mopey and a bit sulky you know you all know what they're like and it's oh, I've not played and there's this and there's that and it's come on get a grip of yourself let's train let's play let's do it properly and we train the next morning I remember it was a real good session but we had good pros there Jordan Henderson was there who pushed people and he wasn't playing and he put, and he pulled everybody at the end of that training session just on his own just a squad of lads who were out there and he said that's how we have to train every single day if you don't play you train like that because you push the lads because if you get your opportunity and you go in and you don't perform you'll get killed. So you train like that every single day. If you don't play, this is how you train and this is how we push it. And that for me, I, I knew what a, what a guy he was anyway. But that for me was just like, yeah, that's proper that. That's proper. That's how we have to do things. And I think that's what summed up that squad. And that's why people love that squad. And you see that squad's evolved over the years. And I, I can't wait for the for the Euros this summer because I just hope and I pray. And I think, I think England have got a real, real good chance of going all the way. Tell us the moment when you were first called up for England. How did that happen? Yeah, I'm sure we've all got that moment kind of in our head and when it first happened, I certainly have, yeah. I remember I'd been away during COVID and I'd been away and I'd just got back and I was out on the front with me boys. I've got three boys. I was out on the front with me boys and it was one of them. I was taking my little boy over to his friends and as I'm taking him over, he was playing up a bit. Like, like kids do, like boys do. So he's playing over a bit. I mean, I could feel my phone going in my pocket, you know, the vibration. My possible thought, oh, no, I'm leaving it. My head was chocker, taking the kids over to my mates, all this sort of thing. So I looked at my phone. As I looked at my phone, I had a missed call. And then a WhatsApp. So I clicked on the WhatsApp. And as I clicked on the WhatsApp, it said, hi, Connor, it's Gareth. Uh, can you give me a call back? And I was flustered. I was sweating. I was like, oh, my God. So I got the, me, me little boy and I ran home. I went, went back, back home. And I knocked on the door. Mrs. answered. I said, take, take Freddie a minute. Gareth Southgate needs me to ring him and Amy just like went white she was like oh my god so I rang him just there and then he was brilliant he was top he just said uh, first off it was one of them how's your summer how's the and I'm thinking oh, get, <laughs> get the to it Gareth forget the foreplay go right I'm thinking you're not just around me to see how the old he was was you surely you're ringing for something else so it was kind of yeah it was great yeah sound and then he said uh, listen we've been obviously been monitoring you for a few years that and the other uh, we'd love you to come in and, and kind of work with us and we'll see how we go he, he said we're going to play a back three in a few of the games and we want to push it and I'm playing in the middle of a back three and listen, it was the best phone call I've ever, ever had in my life and I think it will be the best I've ever had in my life going going into the future as well because in that moment I dreamed of and I'd worked for and I used to use were probably the same as well in terms of you just sit there when the England squads were coming out even though I knew you'd get a text or a phone call if you were getting called I used to sit there and watch the squads coming out just just thinking what maybe maybe I might be in it even though I knew I was never going to be in it because I've not had a text or a phone call but that was what I was like I've always loved watching England I've always dreamt of being a part of it and I reiterate what I said before in terms of that's been the best moment of my whole life to put on an England shirt and play for England was was, was absolutely incredible yeah hey guys how times have changed eh whatsapp for Connor teletext from me the fucking pigeon for you out to you phones out <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Uh, I got I got a phone call. I got I was at home on a Monday. It was a landline, obviously. Back then, there were no mobile phones at that at that point. Um, my mum answered the phone. And she said, "It's it's Gordon Milne, who was the Leicester manager." He said, "It's Gordon Milne on the phone for you." I thought, "Oh Christ, what have I done wrong? Oh God!" So I answered it, and he he, he said, um, "Get yourself a toothbrush. Come to the club." 
pick up your boots. Bobby Robson's been on the phone. He said you're in the England squad. And it is, it is magical, isn't it? How did, how did it happen for you too, Alan? Teletext for me. Teletext. It was actually a teletext. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm teletext. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. I thought you were joking. No, it was, yeah. Teletext. I can tell you, ma'am, I was not a fucking pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, <laughs> you? I was in the barbers, wasn't I? Of course you were. You're always in the <laughs> bloody barbers. I was chilling. I was eating my Caribbean food uh, on a Friday night. You were eating while you were in the barbers? Well, you have a little... Yeah. Wait, you, I need a barber slash restaurant it was. You need some seasoning gas. You need to come with me just for a weekend. I'll take you around all the places. I, I love you know to. what I mean? You I need some that. seasoning. Anyway, so I'm in the chair and then I get a call, but it's withheld number. They always used to do that. I used to hate with it. And I never used to answer them. And then someone said, it was McLaren who rang me and said, oh, Micah, just let you know that you're going to be the next England squad. But I'm only 18 at this time. So I'm like, fuck off and put the phone down. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> Do you remember I told you? Yeah, I remember And that, then he rubbed yeah. back and I was like, oh my uh, God, I've just put the phone down on the England manager. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's only any point taking me to the barbers, Mike. There's no point taking Alan, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what about the moment you pull on the England shirt and you actually get step onto the pitch, Connor? Oh, yeah, again, a moment you'll remember, a moment I'll never forget. It was against Denmark uh, in Copenhagen's ground. And yeah, the moment I found out I was playing was obviously the day before when we do the team and I knew I was in it. And yeah, it was a pinch me moment. It was a moment that I never thought I'd get. Even being in the England squad, you're that close to it and you just want to grab it. But you still think to yourself in your head, am I going to get it? Is it going to come? Am I going to be part of it? And to get the opportunity to start uh, against a good Denmark team as well, by the way, they were decent. And like I said, it was one of them strange international breaks where we'd just come off like being off. It was, that moment was weird, weren't it? That COVID time was was absolutely crazy. So it was that strange moment, and just to go out and uh, and walk out with the players I was walking out with, and Harry Kane leading you out, and and all this sort of stuff was was absolutely unbelievable. And I remember after we, we drew nil nil, it was absolutely. I'll remember it forever. You guys probably won't remember it, but I'll remember it forever. <laughs> we got a clean sheet as a defender, and it was what. Well, I remember coming off doing a couple of interviews, and I come in, and the lads gave us a clap just because you always done it with the lads who made the debuts and different things, and that moment and that feeling. Uh, if I could just bottle it up and bring it out now and again and, and show me kids when they're older, it, it'd be absolutely brilliant. And like I said, a moment I'll never forget, yeah. Sometimes fans throw it at players, don't they, with England? Ah, they don't really care. But that, it, it doesn't mean that much to them, you know, and all this. I don't think it's so much now, but going back a, a number of years, probably in Gareth's early days and um, just before that, he's obviously turned things around in terms of the public perception of the team. But, but players really care, don't they, at that level? That, that feeling of going away, honestly, that, that that Euros and all the camps I've been involved in and how I've done things in the World Cup and the feeling of being with the lads for so long, you you loved it. You loved it. You was away for the, the Euros. I think we were away for six weeks and it would have been brilliant because it, if it was a normal year and we could all see our families, we could have had our families in a different thing, but we were away from our families for so long, we didn't see them. But the feeling was just unbelievable and you obviously hear stories of the past of, I don't know if it's around your era, Meeks or whatever, and you hear all these stories of lads sitting together from the clubs and the rivalries and all this sort of thing and... I understand it in terms of rivalries, but when you go, you've got to get that out of your head because you're going playing for your country. You've got, you've got to. There's so many people depending on you. That team, that kind of you was involved in Meeks was, was unbelievable. Some of the players that was involved, and I've been lucky enough to be part of this England squad, which some of the players that are involved are unbelievable as well. But the feeling of being together and spending time together and enjoy, you're very rarely in your room. 
I hear stories of people going back to the room and spending all day. I don't understand why you do that. Go and have a coffee with the boys and, I don't know, play PlayStation or do what you want to do. Go and watch whatever's on the telly. Love Island or whatever's on the telly. Go and watch whatever you want. I don't Love know, Island? But, <laughs> but, is that but, what but, players watch now? Is it? <laughs> a lot of players watch it, yeah. I'm not going to lie, I watched it last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know why you're watching it, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. What are you? Just before thirty-one, aren't you? Thirty-first birthday. What have you started a plan for after your career, or, or what? What have you done? Well, before you answer this, mate, I've heard you on the radio. I've seen you on Sky, mate. You need to hold your own. Let me have a little bit more of the time because I know you're coming for my job, mate. Job and, all, yeah. and he's already excellent. So just hold your own. You can play till forty. Easy, Connor. Yeah, Come on. No, listen. I'm not. I'm not sitting here going. I want to. I've got this this age in mind to finish. I go for as long as I possibly can. I think first and foremost, mate. I'd love to do it with you. I think that's something I'd love to do it with you. But no, it's something I have started thinking because. I think for one, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy obviously this side of it, the the radio stuff, the broadcasting stuff. I've I've done uh, my first coaching badge as well. Now I'm not fully set on either yeah. way, but I am enjoying the, the the broadcasting stuff at the minute in terms of the radio and the TV and uh, coming on here with you guys has been fantastic. I've loved it, and I think it's something where I think I'm better getting as much in as I can now, as as, as long as I enjoy it because I love doing it. I could speak to to you guys about footy all day long. Honestly, I could. It's it's something I love doing. So I I have kind of started thinking. About about it but not to a point where I'm going right I'm going to hit this yeah. age and I'm going to finish yeah, yeah, that's yeah. me done I just go as long as I can and as long as I'm enjoying doing this which I'm loving and I can kind of give things to people then then I'll keep on doing it yeah let's take you back if I may to to England and Gareth Southgate now obviously being England manager is a highly pressurized um, job and everyone thinks they've got a, a view about the England team and they should be this and they should be that what are his strengths I think first and foremost he's He's an incredible person. I think, take away football for a minute, he's England manager and we all judge him on kind of being England manager. Him as a person and how he deals with players and how he can speak to players and his ability to to bring a group together that don't play together every week, I think goes unnoticed. I think it's absolutely brilliant kind of how he does that. Now, he's obviously got a real close relationship with Steve Holland as well. And Steve Holland is brilliant at the same time. And I think having kind of them two together and how they work and how they do things and what they're both like on the pitch and the roles they both have, but then also what they're both like off the pitch, I think is brilliant. So I think having Steve with him as well is fantastic. But in terms of how the gaffer approaches it with players and what he's like on the team and how he keeps people in the loop in terms of, if you're on an international break, he'll keep you kind of informed on, right, You'll miss the first game, but you'll be involved in the second game or you'll play in the second game. And I think that for a player, I think it just fills you with a little bit of confidence. It fills you with a little bit of clarity. So I think in terms of how he deals with players and his ability to bring players together who haven't played together week in, week out. And every England squad, it's funny because every time an England squad goes out, you see all these things of he should be in it or he should be in it. And we all have opinions. Everybody has opinions because we all want players maybe from our own clubs in the squad or we want this player in the squad or that player may not be in the squad and we think he should be there. So you're always going to get that. But I I think his ability just to kind of ride with it and take the kind of hits or whatever you want to call it and just keep on producing teams to keep on producing results like I said before I can't wait for this summer because I honestly think and, and I don't want to speak too soon I don't want to seem too confident or nothing like that it's nothing to do with that but I'm really excited for the team that are going to go there and have a real good chance because I think we all believe it from the last two tournaments and, and kind of where England they're at now They've got very close, and there's no question about that. I think the one criticism people do perhaps level at Gareth is that he's a tad cautious, and some people say 
There's so much talent in this side. Give them their wings. Let them fly. What do you think? I, com- I completely agree in terms of the talent. There's there, there's so much talent within the squad. And listen, I, I know what we're all talking. We're all talking about the players going forward and how they go about the business. And we all have our teams in our head that we want to play and how we want to go about it. And he's no different. He he's a man who's looking at the England team and and trying to produce results and trying to produce a tournament win. And, and and for me, I look at kind of what he's done in the last few tournaments. And okay, you look at the World Cup and going out to France. I actually think on a different day we beat France. And I think a lot of people agree with me in terms Great. of how the game Absolutely. went about and, and, and how it finished. But in terms of what we've done, I, I can go off kind of how he's approached the last two tournaments. And for me, I can't fault him as a player who's played in it and being there and, and being involved with it. I think how he goes about, about his business is really good. But I think a massive part of the last few tournaments is how we've reacted to obviously losing the final. We've gone again and performed then in the build-up to, to the next tournament and the same after the World Cup. And that's what's exciting me about this summer is in terms of how the boys have approached that kind of spell from the World Cup to now to really push on. And in terms of Gareth and how he goes about it, only he'll know how we want to go about his team and how he wants to play it. But we'll all have opinions going into the World Cup. But I think he's in the best position he's probably been in with his team now in terms of players going into it. I think the world's his oyster in terms of how he wants to go about it and how he wants to play. Obviously, all, all supporters were desperately disappointed when we lost to France. What, what, what was it like inside that dressing room? Try and describe it for oh, me. I'll try and paint a picture of it. And It's the same for the Euros dressing room after after the final. The, the Euros one was a little bit different, obviously, with it being at home and obviously losing on pens. We were so close in terms of how we started the game and how we went about it, matching Italy in terms of playing five at the back and then the goal we actually scored in the Euros, I'll go back to the World Cup in a minute, but the goal we actually scored in the Euros was actually something we worked on, playing full-back to full-back, so Trippi crossing the ball and Luke Shaw finishing. So actually seeing the goal after three minutes, we were all sat there going, oh my God, this is exactly what we're working on, this is it, we're going to win the Euros, it's it. And then after the game sitting there, everybody being, it was horrible, it was horrible, kind of how the tournament went and then Prince William came in with Prince George and gave the lads a bit of a hug and a little bit of a pick-me-up of how proud the, the country was. And then and then the World Cup after France game was very, very similar. Obviously, the boys kind of consoling Harry was the biggest thing in terms of obviously missing the penalty. I, I don't think I'm out of saying that in terms of coming in. It was just quiet. It was it was something the manager spoke, Steve spoke. H obviously spoke because of the character he is as well. And even though we didn't have to, he he, he spoke about the situation. And H being Harry Kane. Yeah, Harry Kane, yeah. He, he obviously spoke about the situation because of the captain he is and the character he is. And it was something where that's that. It's football. We've all been part of it. We've all been part of good results, bad results and tough results to take. So it was something where, again, we spoke about getting back on the horse and, and kicking on and making sure we're right for the Euros, which is coming this time around. So it was an horrendous place to be. It's horrible in them situations. You guys will know the same when you've been part of a bad result and we've all been part of them. But it's important that you learn from it, you live with it and, and you use it as kind of motivation to go on and, and succeed in other ways. Which of the England players, t- tell us some of them. I mean, there's so much talent in there now. Who excites you most? When we train, we do a session and I don't, I don't know if you have done it in terms of you have a goal on each end of the box, right? <laughs> and you have, and, he, and uh, the gaffer and Steve split the box in half. So you have three defenders against three attackers in one half of the box and then three defenders against three attackers in the other half of the box. But we're not allowed in the other half. Do you know what I mean? We have to stay in our own half. So we just have to defend. That is the hardest session <laughs> I've ever done in my life when you're coming up against Phil Foden, Harry Kane, Bukayo Saka, Marcus Rashford, the hardest session in the whole world, mate, to believe me. So some of the players there and the way they train and how they go about the business is unbelievable. But it's hard to it's hard to sit here and pick out one. It really is. It's hard because there's that much quality. And we mentioned it before about kind of the embarrassment of riches the gaffer's got going forward and how he's going to utilise them. Or even somebody like James Madison, who now is playing absolutely unbelievable. But his character and what he's like around camp 
which I think goes unnoticed as well in terms of what he brings to a camp is is absolutely unbelievable. So that's quite interesting because a lot of, there's that perception, wasn't there, that a few years ago when he was I think there was out the squad and ill and he ended up going with his dad I think to a casino or something, and then there was all this thing about his his attitude, but. It strikes me that he's a, he's a real thinker on the game. Oh, massive. And he loves the game. He loves football. Absolutely loves football. He's obsessed with football. And he could again, he could probably sit here and talk to you about football all day long. And I think everybody in terms of the career or or people in terms of the career, they make mistakes at times and, and people do. And I think being footballers, it gets highlighted a lot more because you can get pictured and things happen and you end up somewhere the way you shouldn't be and you don't need to be and you don't want to be there. And things happen and they get out there. And listen, I think Mad has made a mistake. I think he took his punishment by not being in the squad for a few years. I think that was something that he, t- that he, that he took. And I think he understood kind of coming back into the squad, how much it meant to him, what it meant to his career in terms of playing for England and, and, and that he wanted to be there. He was desperate to be there and he was the same when we went to the World Cup. His character around the place and his ability to kind of be a part of everyone's group and go from one group to another. One day he could be playing PlayStation, then he could be playing darts or somebody. Then we played a game called Werewolf. He'd be in the middle of Werewolf, all this sort of stuff. I think his ability to do that and then now you see having his move to Tottenham, he's he's really opened up in terms of the gaffer's got a situation where I think everybody or a lot of people are are hoping he's in the team. So I I think he's the same. I think he's learned from his mistake. He's moved on and he understands how big it is now to play for his country. I I cannot let you go without asking you about Jude Bellingham. What's he like? The best. The best. I've never known, mate. I, uh, is he 1920 now? 1920, whatever his age is. I remember I was in his first squad, and when he first came in, it was kind of. I think he'd only made one appearance for the 21s, and he came into the senior squad. Now, it was unbelievable. I remember his first session, and he megged me right. He megged me, but he megged me. In t- I'm, I'm, this is no word of a lie, right, fellas? He megged me in terms of he should never have megged me. So we played this game with the little goals. And I'm I'm a, I'm a defender, so I defend, I'm a bit of a cheat. I defend the little goal. I go and stand in front of the little goal and say, you're not scoring. Go to another goal. <laughs> you're not scoring here. So he's got his back to me. And as he's got his back to me, you've all probably seen it, where you drag the ball around. And as you drag it around, you keep it to your foot and you flick it through someone's legs. <laughs> now we've done that and they had a camera. So there's cameras all around England training because they post it, on, post it on social media and all that sort of stuff. And as he's done it to me, he's flicked it through my legs and scored. So I stood there and gone. <laughs> it was impossible to do and I don't know how he's done it and as I've turned around the camera's on me and as the camera's on me I've just gone don't you dare put that fucking on social media and I started swearing and I started just so they didn't put it on social media because it just it was just like this 18 year old kid's come out of nowhere and he's just megging me like like, like there's no tomorrow <laughs> and it was just from there he's obviously gone on to do what he's done we all see what he's doing with Real Madrid but what a person an even better player and just absolutely incredible all round and listen I think we're going to build this England team around him, aren't we, for the next 10, 15 years, which is which is a real exciting thing to, to think about. It's, it's the sort of player that you, you think might just be the difference that will drag England to perhaps success and, and finally getting that trophy after such a long wait, do you think? Yeah, and do, do you know what? Another thing just to add to that, I think, Having the experience of the World Cup and being a major player at the World Cup, I think will stand him in massive stead. He was obviously a huge player at the World Cup and how he went about his business at the World Cup and what everyone loved from him was was unbelievable. But I just think having that experience and have, obviously getting his move to Real Madrid, I get it, it's part of a, a massive club in, in club football, but that feeling of playing for your country and kind of the, the country hanging on to you I think I think we're all hanging on to him to, to to take us to where we need to be and to have that and he's a player who can accept that responsibility he's so mature in what he does and how he goes about his business he's, he's an incredible incredible person he really is Connor 
Uh, thank you very much for giving us so much time. It's been absolutely fascinating uh, talking to you. Continued success. I hope you get back into into the Leicester team and, and drive us back into the Premier League by the end of the season. I imagine you're pretty confident of that, aren't you? We're hoping so. We're hoping so. We've obviously put ourselves in a good position, mate. And I know you're you're a huge Leicester fan. So the goal is to, to get to where we need to be as quick as possible. That is the goal. We've said it all season. So huge last few months. The, the hardest part of the season is coming up and we need to make sure we do it for, for you guys and, and for all the supporters. Yeah, but f- thanks for having me on, fellas. It's been a real pleasure. Honestly, Brilliant. to be on you're here Awesome, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, you're a credit to our sport, uh, Connor. Thank you very much indeed, and get promoted. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, uh, mate. Cheers. Top man, Connor. That's it from the rest is football for this week. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, <laughs> or people will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.